You're listening to the Grassy Knoll on AM 1350 WDCF, AM 1400 WZHR. And we have with us in the second hour of the Grassy Knoll, Charlotte Iserbit, a former U.S. Department of Education policy advisor and author of the book, The Deliberate Deming Down of America. And Charlotte will be discussing the planned destruction of U.S. schools, changing them from a system of education to one of training. Charlotte will also be sharing with us about her father and his involvement with Yale's elite society, Skull and Bones, to which both our current president and his challenger belong. And now I want to welcome back Charlotte Isabet. And Charlotte, the last time you were here was nearly a year to the day. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> and like last year, the Grassy Knoll is now celebrating another anniversary. This is our second. Good. And like last year at this time, you're vacationing in the Great White North, eh? Yeah, I'm up in, on an island off of Canada. I'm, in, I'm on Grand Manan Island off of New Brunswick. It's very foggy. Oh, it's Canada. It's supposed to be foggy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's cool. Now, we, what we want to do is um, you were uh, willing to, um, to talk about your dad's involvement in Skull and Bones, but, and that also is the subject of uh, one of the stories that's collated in the book, Fleshing Out Skull and Bones, is it not? Yes, it is. It's a chapter in there, and uh, it wasn't an easy thing to do. I, I, ver I really like Chris Milligan. I think he's uh, doing a marvelous job on researching Skull and Bones, and, of course, he was close to my favorite friend, Tony Sutton, Professor Anthony Sutton, uh, who was at the Hoover Institute and did the mammoth work on USA to the Soviet Union. And uh, then, of course, he touched a, an untouchable subject, which was the order, and uh, he was never sort of heard, uh, heard from again, never accepted. And, uh, you know, the controlled right and the controlled left circles won't deal, wouldn't deal with Tony. He uh, passed away a couple of years ago. I met Chris through Tony. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris, uh, Madigan, yeah. And, uh, then Chris was, had high regard for Tony, and after Tony's marvelous book, America's Secret Establishment, an introduction to the Order of Skull and Bones, which can be purchased on my website, uh, when, when that came out, uh, and after Tony died, uh, Chris decided to put together the book that you're referring to, which I think is excellent. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's done in a completely different way. Uh, you know, so I have been uh, involved with those who feel it is important to bring to light uh, the importance of this order, of the order, and that it's not just a little boys' club. Uh, you know, it would be nice if it were. It's not one of those fraternities that where they just run around nude and do things like that and get in trouble. It's not. It's a very important uh, entity that's been in, in effect for over a couple hundred years now, and. Uh, Members of the order, a small percentage in each class, they're selected, 15 of them, a small percent, maybe three of them out of that total, uh, do go on to very high positions, whether it's in industry or government cabinet positions uh, or very high up university or NATO or whatever, they do. And the goal, actually that is the, the intent uh, of the order is to place uh, individuals whose agenda is totally alien to that of the constitutional system of our country and to that of uh, the average American in positions, not necessarily as president, but this time around we've got two of them running for it, uh, but in positions where they can influence uh, either the Secretary of State or the President or National Security Council or whatever, in tremendously important positions where the influence is, is felt. So um, Americans have got to understand that this is the case. And I, my father and grandfather were members of the order. 
that's not to say that either of them were uh, did end up in, in very important positions like this. My grandfather, perhaps, certainly much more so. My father, not at all. Uh, my grandfather possibly having been a mining engineer in South Africa at the end of the last century, you know, way back, 1890s, uh, as an American. Uh, he was, I believe, involved with uh, Cecil Rhodes' people, et right. cetera. Right, Yep. Uh, and let's leave that as a, a wedding of the appetite for later on, if you don't mind. Okay. And I would like to talk about the contents of your book and the work that you have been doing. Um, yeah. Can you tell us your experience with um, the U.S. Department of Education and why you got out of Dodge when you found out certain things? Well, actually, when I came, for, I have to go a little bit further. When sure. I came back from overseas, I was in the Foreign Service for 18 years, and I married a European, and I always, you know, had gung-ho American. I was a, a, a just very, very patriotic American, and I, I loved the Constitution, everything we stood for, and I, I lived in countries that didn't have any of this. And I was shocked when I came back after 18 years, married to a European, two young boys, went into the school, local school system in the early 70s. And our school system, people often think that all of this restructuring is new. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, it even goes back further than the, the early 70s. It goes back to the 50s, the 60s, especially the retraining of teachers. Are you there? Absolutely. Okay, good. And uh, my school district in Maine, they always choose places like Maine or Kentucky, et cetera, where we used to have a, a very conservative uh, uh, electorate. Uh, we don't anymore. But they choose states where uh, if they can get a radical agenda in, like ch like chucking academics and putting all the values clarification in, folks, that means values destruction, survival games where children decide what's going to, who's going to live, who's going to die, that sort of thing. If they can get rid of academics and put that sort of mushy, uh, values changing uh, curriculum into the state of Maine, they figure they're not going to have any problem in Massachusetts or uh, California, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how they operate. So I, I moved into a district where not all of Maine was that way, but this one particular district had a, a highly uh, trained change agent, and I'll go into that later, out of Harvard, who'd come been brought in by individuals in Camden, Maine, high up the elite, to change our education system from academics to values, behavior, modification, global education. And I just, you know, I was really naive. I was so shocked that I, I asked questions. And I was hauled up the flagpole as a censor. I said, why aren't we teaching grammar anymore? Why are the children sitting on the floor? Why are the teachers being taught to take the children through the, through the town and have the little kids identifying first graders, right? Uh, big houses and small houses, and what do you think they eat in the big house of the, you know, I thought, what is going, that was, that's class warfare, right? Absolutely. And, and I, I asked questions, and I got in a lot of trouble, and then a retired teacher, marvelous woman, she'd lived all, taught all over the world, she called me one day and she said, I want to pay for you to go for some training to become a change agent. You're going to find out what's going on, what your superintendent is all about when you go through the very training yourself. And I said, well, I can't afford that. How much is it? She says, $100. That's a lot back then. And she said, I'm going to pay for you to go because she said, you are right on target. You see things that nobody else sees because you've been out of the country. And you, you see the difference between 1970 and 1950. And I went. And I was taught at that training by a federally funded change agent uh, who used a federally funded textbook 
Innovations in Education, a Change Agent's Guide by Ronald Havelock, and it was out of the University of Michigan, the textbook, Ann Arbor, and that particular funding came right out of the office that I would be going into eight years later as a senior policy advisor, and I found that they were still funding it under Ronald Reagan. But anyway, the training was so shocking to me that's when I decided, people often say, Charlotte, how come you've hung in for 30 years? Why? I mean, nobody would ever spend that much of their life trying to bring this to light to the, the American people. The fact that this has been a deliberate creation of moral and academic chaos in order to get the American people to accept world government, right? Because if they don't know what form of government they have and they don't have any morals and values, they won't care, huh? So I, I went to the training, and I was taught, and these other very nice teachers and administrators who were there with me, because most of the good people, I mean, most people go, who go into education are basically good people. And uh, they were there, and they were being trained, and they didn't resist like I did. We were trained how to identify the resistors in our communities. And, of course, I was a resistor. So I was, in effect, being trained to identify myself as a resistor. And we were trained to go to those people and to tell them, oh, yes, we understand your concerns, Mrs. Jones, and you have some very good points. Why don't you join our task force, you know, get ownership, huh? Get them in, suck them in, try to get them on your side. If you can't, you can't. But uh, And then we were trained to go to the very important members of the community, very good Americans who have really felt they were doing the right thing, Rotary, Chamber of Commerce, Garden Club, go to these people and say, we really have a problem in this community, which usually they didn't, with uh, children getting pregnant and all. They would go into the communities that had the least problems, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. say with sex, sex problems, etc., and they would convince these Rotarians and Garden Club people and all that they had to have a program in sex education, which later on I found out through all of the official documents I got my hands on, were intended to make the children more permissive. I found all this out. So anyway, that was such a shock to me that I was really unable to attend the next session, which was the next Saturday. Uh, You know, uh, my husband was upset with me. He said, you have to go back. I said, I can't. I cannot go back into that environment, considering the fact I believe I still live in a free country. This is the most outrageous education training, I, I, well, it could only take place in a communist or fascist country. Mm. And so then you asked me to start with the Department of Ed. Well, I, I became very active, started a group in my state, et cetera, after all of this. Got on the school board, believe it or not. Got rid of all the values changing stuff. Got some grammar in five minutes a day. Then when I got knocked off, uh, ten, about two weeks later, the superintendent had put back everything in there, survival games, all this tar- terrible stuff that I did get rid of for over a period of three years. Huh? And then I went, because the White House, and that was Ronald Reagan's administration just at the beginning of it, uh, we, we thought we were going to be getting rid of the U.S. Department of Education. That never happened, and it could have happened. I want everybody to go to my website, and they will see my letters there to Reagan and Ed Meese. Uh, this could have happened. I mean, not the department, but the heart of the rot could have been removed simply by getting rid of the Secretary of Education, who was supporting this stuff. So anyway, I was selected to, go, to be a senior policy advisor in what I consider 
the most important office in the Department of Ed, and that would be in the U.S. in the world. Hmm? Right. The USA is very important in education due to the U.N., right? And uh, there I was, I mean, hey, folks, I'm not highly educated at all. I don't have all the degrees and all that most, uh, most senior policy advisors would have had to be in the job I was in. But since we were supposed to be getting rid of the department, they weren't really going to fill that with a former president of Columbia University uh, because our intent was to get rid of the department. So they put me into an office where I had access to the most unbelievable documents going all the way back to the 40s and 50s, all the different administrations, and uh, all the plans, the international plans, because this education system is completely international, and every, every child in the planet has, has got to be dumbed down. And I, I leaked uh, a very important technology document to human events, the so-called, no, no longer, but conservative journal in Washington. It was a document that dealt with uh, Project Best, it was called, Better Education Skills Through Technology, and it was uh, the... Um, shipping out of computer courseware in every area of the curriculum you could possibly think of developed in Washington to the state level to be used by the state. So it was a national uh, curriculum on the computer. And it was uh, one document, the one document that really got me to do what I did, leak it, when I saw on an internal paper marked confidential and said what we can control and manipulate at the state level. And then it listed curriculum, it listed the, the selection of people for the task force, consultants, whatever, everything that was important that should be decided at the local or state level, right? But this was the federal government deeply under Reagan, huh? And so I decided to leak it, but I knew I'd get fired. Mm -hmm. So before I leaked it, I got out all of the grants and contracts going all over the world, all the proof like the Lansing, Michigan contract uh, where they were using little children to experiment on, on, their, on their changing their values with pre- and post-testing. I had that contract. I had everything. That's just to give you an example of a domestic one, national, that I had. I had hundreds of documents. And the interesting thing is that I got into that position in my office. I was senior policy advisor, but my boss was a phony conservative, right? political appointee, he, um, he was suspicious of what I was doing in his, his, his office down at 400 Maryland Avenue. And so he thought, well, I'll move her uptown to the National Institute of Education, which was the, the nest of evil, yep. where all of the evil decisions were made, all the grants and contracts going around the world, everything really bad, the laboratories, the centers, the methods, the, the total Marxist agenda. Hmm? And what a mistake. He sent me up there to work on the waste, fraud, and abuse project. So, you know, cut and dried. He thought I wouldn't get in any trouble. Well, I went up there, and to give credit to the career people, because there were quite a few career people who helped me out, because they were good people, uh, when I got into these grants and contracts, they were all on these big computer, uh, heavy, round things, you know, belts. Right. And... Um, I started looking at them, and the one particular one I told you about from Lansing, Michigan, uh -huh. uh, where we were paying, we were changing the little first graders' attitudes and values towards religion, the government, everything under the sun, and then pre and post testing them. And I said to the guy who I was working for, a career officer, who was uh, 
working for the Office of Management and Budget, I think, or something like that, or the GAO, uh, on this um, waste fraud and abuse project, which was meant basically to see if the Department of Ed was um, in making sure that educators who were sending the money out uh, required and, and received uh, final reports on a quarterly basis. Hmm? Very cut and dry. And so I got into the real meat of it. And I looked at this guy one day and I said, you know, I want you to look at this Lansing, Michigan project. And I want you to tell me, don't you think it would be possible for us to be grading these on, on the basis of uh, something other than, uh, you know, waste, fraud, and abuse from the standpoint of money? And maybe from another standpoint, like, should we be doing it? And he looked at it and he said, absolutely. And I said, how much time can you let me have? Because I was only meant to be there a week. He said, you can have as much time as you want. You there? Yes, I am. Yeah. So anyway, I did that. I, I, got, I got into so much stuff, and I, I brought all the stuff home with me. I got fired, right? But I, brought, I got the stuff out. Then I, my boss informed me I wasn't allowed back in the office. And then I, um, I wrote Reagan. And I know the letter arrived, and that's on my website as a PDF. People can download it. That's right. I know he got it because he, he, he scribbled all over the margins. His secretary told me that and sent the letter on to Meese. And I told him because I had high regard for the president, and, you know, I said, if you knew what is going on in this building, you know, you would, you, you would, you'd, you'd have a heart attack. And I told him everything, a four-pager, and then I never got a response. And then the only reason I found out was that John Lofton, a journalist in right. Washington, called called his office and found out he did have it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then my letter was sent on evidently to Ed Meese, so I wrote Ed Meese and never got an answer. And uh, so the point of it is that, you know, any president, the whole thing goes back a right. hundred years, and it's not just Reagan. It started right. after, you know, with Woodrow Wilson. I mean, and it's, it, it, the goal has always been to use the schools to change America. Right. And this is a direct quote from Carnegie Corporation, 1934, right. so, uh, so that the United States uh, economy, you know, change the economy right. from a free, individualistic economy to a collectivist, socialist economy in the new order. Right? Okay. Let me interject this, if I could, Charlotte. Um, uh, first of all, those who have never heard her speak before, um, we have Charlotte's first interview uh, in our archives. You can also go to Jeff Rents, who's been very generous with uh, archiving Charlotte's appearances there. Uh, so by all means, if you want to find out more about Charlotte uh, and what she's talking about, uh, there's a bit more foundation there because obviously it was our first interview. And we did, I think, two hours back then, Charlotte. Uh, but, you know, people may be saying, oh, what are you talking about? This, this can't be so. I mean, you know, our American schools. But I want to tell you something, Charlotte. Remember, I went back to school to get certified to teach secondary English in the mid-90s. I was in my 40s. I, no. I never once questioned why are we doing uh, behavioral objectives? Aren't we supposed to be teaching people? It, it didn't dawn on me, and I think I'm you know, pretty much, uh, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb on a tree, but I'm all right. But I never, ever questioned it. Now, can we also state that the, the education system, as William Z. Foster predicted, he was a communist in the United States in his book Towards Soviet America. Right that there would be a national, he called it a national department of education. And this is back in 1932. But at that same time, Charlotte, you know, I wonder, again, though I didn't question it myself, how Americans allowed that flaming Marxist, John Dewey, 
out of the University of Chicago with all the other behavioral modificationists, yep. how did they give the education system over to him? Well, I think, you know, you can go back to Skull and Bones, and this is where uh, Robbins, you know, who wrote the other book. Alexandra Wright's right, Secrets of the uh, Tomb. Which is a good book, but uh, nah. she leaves out the most important mm -hmm. part, and that is the role of the order, Skull and Bones, in changing education. So to uh, reflect the views, basically, of John Dewey, because John Dewey picked up all of his views from the Germans. They went over to Germany, right. and all of this is very beautifully outlined in, in Sutton's book. And yours uh, as well. And they picked up the method, which is the animal training method. Man is, is you know, they worked under Wundt, and it was Hegelian dialectic. Right. And uh, they picked up that method, which, is, you know, considers man nothing but an animal to be trained. That's right. And that is exactly what we're looking at now with George Bush's No Child Left Behind agenda. Uh, all over the world, it's the same thing. They're looking, our children are considered nothing but human resources to be trained for the good of a global economy, to spin off profits. And this is very, very tragic. And it's especially so for those very children that they, they keep saying that they care about the minorities. Because they're going to talk about back to slavery. I'll tell you, this is going to be, it'll make the first slavery look good. And uh, they have used the minorities, and on my website is a, is a paper that I wrote, right. uh, which explains exactly all the documentation on how the minorities were used. Uh, the, the top professors, Bloom and Block and Spady and the rest of them, admit that there is not a single inner city school in this country that has not used the Skinner method. Charlotte, at this time, we're going to go over a break at the uh, bottom of the hour here. Okay. Uh, give people uh, the title of the book and how they can obtain it, and also your website and how they can read a, a number of the articles that you have up there. And you also uh, have right here, you've got two white papers that are pretty extensive called Back to Basics Reform. Oh, yeah, that's a freebie. And, and beautiful. But go ahead, uh, give us yeah. some information. I will. Uh, my, my website is deliberate dumbing down.com and uh, my telephone number I'm not at home now but I will be next week is 207-442-0543 uh, the book is an ebook as well as a regular book and you can order the ebook on the inner on at my website it's $20 membership a year and you, that means that you can send sections of it to your superintendent and uh, say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't what you said last night. And you can also download it, or you can buy the book for $47, which includes shipping and all, and it's 700 pages, big book, uh, by uh, calling me at uh, my number, or you can do it from the website. But you can't do the credit card from the website. You have to call me. You can pay with a credit card, and the uh, I gave you the telephone number, and or you can write a checkout as follows, to 3D Research Company, and the address is 1062, 1062 Washington Street, and that's in Bath, B-A-T-H, like the bathtub, Maine, M-E-04530. So you write a check for $47. All right, we're with Charlotte Isabel. This is the Grass, you know, I am Visigoth. This is AM 1350 WDCF, AM 1400 WZHR, uh, Zephyr Hills, Dade City, New Tampa. You pick, and we'll be back in just a moment. And we've been talking about the school system, which you folks may think is very pristine, but it's anything but. And I found that out both on the inside and the outside. But Charlotte's book, uh, 
really does a very, a very exhaustive um, uh, inspection of the system, and she has plenty of documents in the back. That uh, sh uh, You also tell people to go ahead and, and uh, copy them off, do you not? Oh, absolutely. And what makes me very happy, and it surprised me no end, is that uh, my book has been rated uh, in sales, number one, by Barnes & Noble, uh, out of uh, all of the books that it has on Education History USA. Uh, that made me very happy, and the, the reason for that is that this isn't what I think. Uh, these are documents. The whole book is nothing but documents arranged chronologically, so that I haven't tried to put 1934, that I just mentioned Carnegie calling for changing our whole system through the schools, uh, you know, up in 1985 when Ronald Reagan signed the agreements with the Soviet Union to merge the two systems. I didn't do that to make my point. I make people go all the way through it on their own, and then they can come to their own conclusion. Yeah, and also, Charlotte, I know that um, you're picking up. When I cut the mic out, it's only because we're trying to stop the RF from coming through. As you can hear a little bit, we call it the Romulan whine. Yeah. So uh, when you hear a lack of uh, static or sound on your end, I'm here. I just cut out. You know, I just muted myself, more or less, which many people say I should do more of. Um, moving right along, though, and um, I would also say for people who are listening about Carnegie Foundation, they think that they're really good guys. No doubt they do some very um, beneficial work. But uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Charlotte, but Renee Wormser's book, Foundations. Oh, yes, yes. Norman Dodd, yeah. I mean, go check out what Rockefeller, yeah. Carnegie, Ford, and others have wrought. Yeah, the other robber barons, they made their money, and they set up foundations to turn this country into what every other nation is heading for and that is something that will fit into a one-world government, which is really nothing less than communism. It didn't you're, die. You're did right, it? and it's really Lenin's international socialism, and I, uh, that's, uh, you have an excellent understanding of it, and i like to point out that uh, the European Union is, it was the first uh, step in this uh, project of creating regions, and uh, we've got the European Union that former President Gorbachev uh, referred to in London, as the new European Soviet. Now, the rest of the world is all being regionalized, and George Bush is regionalizing us. We're going to have North America, South America, and so we could easily call, or Gorbachev would call, that region the new American Soviet. So, mm -hmm. folks, wake up. What we're looking at, believe it or not, even though we were told that communism was dead, it's not dead at all. Nope. Uh, it's more alive than it has ever been. Uh, they had the phony fall of the wall. Mm -hmm. That was all planned. If anybody wants to read about that, there is uh, a way to. Um, in my uh, references in my book, you'll see uh, uh, Anatoly Golitsyn, and new, new Lies for Old and Perestroika Deception. That's right. And, uh, you know, you've got to understand that communism did not die. And it's, it's, it's very sad that the past few months, with the death of Ronald Reagan and all, people have had this even reinforced more in their minds that he brought down the wall. Uh, the wall was planned to come That's down right. many, right. many years ago. And we're being, we're being taken to the cleaners. They're setting up the total Soviet system all around the world. And as you were pointing out, Keith, uh, the, uh, William Foster spelled it out in Toward a Soviet America. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that is, is not being done by this president to bring that about. Uh, even others are beginning to write about this president putting in the communist agenda. I was the first one to do it, and Alan Stang, I guess. Uh, so don't believe a word of it. You've got to look. You may think what I'm saying is crazy cuckoo off the wall, but please, folks, 
before you think I'm crazy, think about your children's future. And then you may want to check my book out. Because you do not want your children to live under this system. Also, what we're talking about has been documented both by the dark side and our own people. And Anthony C. Sutton, who is a contributor to uh, Fleshing Out Skull and Bones, as you were, also has a number of works out there that shows that it's the capitalists that propped up the communists that Absolutely. kicked out the czars, right, and financed the Bolshevik Revolution and had to create a bad guy so we could have a military-industrial complex that would run on all cylinders. Yep, and we're looking at that right now, and that's why both parties at the top are controlled by the right, same people. Right. And you have to just ask yourself, why is it every time we have an election, nothing changes? <laughs> nothing changes at all. And in fact, uh, the Republicans, if you go back through history to the early 1900s, the major changes in our country, such as regional government, which is communism, uh, that took place under under uh, Richard Nixon. Mm -hmm. And uh, Senator Edwin Muskie from Maine said whenever the Democrats really don't think they're going to be able to get something, uh, they go to the Republicans to get it. Well, can you imagine if, uh, let's say, who was it, if president before, oh, okay, Carter. Say Carter had signed an agreement with the Soviets, who would be Andropov at that time, to merge the two education systems. Don't you think the Republicans might have gotten upset? Right. But when Ronald Reagan did it, it was okay. Right. Well, you know, what happens is one party excoriates what the other party does when they're in power, mm -hmm. and, then when it, and then when they get in power, they actually support what they were, uh, you know, castigating. So it's, it, everybody's caught in this Republican, Democrat, lefty-righty paradigm, and they don't have their eyes on the ball, which is globalism and corporate fascism. That's right, absolutely. And uh, the other thing I think is important to point out, when you notice how the media covers the presidential election, that's all they talk about. And if you look at the Congress, this is what's really very serious right now. Uh, it's more important for us to change the Congress than to get a Bush or, or Kerry. And, of course, they're both the same, so it doesn't make any difference. But the Congress is interesting. Uh, the New American, this latest issue, did their voting records, mm -hmm. and it showed that uh, Bernie Sanders from Vermont, who is the only congressman uh, who admits he's a socialist, right, Bernie Sanders <laughs> had a higher voting record than something like 54% of the Republicans. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, go figure. <laughs> now, now, what's happened? You think there are folks out there, you think the Republicans are conservative? Now, I just told you that the only only representative we've got who admits to being a socialist has got a more conservative voting record than Tom DeLay, I think. Mm -hmm. So, look, we have got to figure this one out. We're, we're really we're going down the tube so fast that our minds are unable to, to Process, deal with it. Right. Now, let me get back to um, the Skull and Bones, as we promised listeners you would speak yep. to. Also, okay. I want to let you know that Chris Milligan is going to be on for two hours uh, oh, on the first Friday in August. I believe that's the sixth. Good. And so, uh, you know, he was pleased to hear that you were on the show, and, of course, I'm sure you're pleased that he's coming here. So, yeah, I am. But let's talk about Skull and Bones. It's a nice little fraternity, just a wild bunch of college guys getting loaded. What about it? Well, I think what I'm going to do is it's much better just read from Tony's book, the, the book cover, uh, people get a better idea. There's one quote that I just love because this guy, E.O. Matheson, was a friend of my father's at Hotchkiss Boys School, and so I know who he was. And uh, he was a real commie. Hmm? Mm -hmm. And he was skull and bones. And so uh, on the cover of Tony Sutton's book, it says, this is Matheson talking to another skull and bones type, 
about Matheson's upcoming appearance. This is in uh, in the 40s or 50s, I guess, uh, before the House Committee on Un-American Activities. And Matheson says, quote, now think about this, folks. Think of Kerry and Bush are both this close. Quote, as long as we have somebody from Bones who can bring pressure on the committee, I should think we'd be all right. Now, doesn't mm-hmm. that tell you something about the importance of the order? And we have two individuals, both from the order, running against mm-hmm. each other? Doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't, no. So then it goes on to say, for those who don't know the history of it, for over 170 years they have met in secret. From out of their initiates come presidents, senators, judges, cabinet secretaries, and plenty of spooks. Now, we think about the spooks. Look what they did to us, 9-11, huh? Mm -hmm. They are titans of finance and industry, and they have just recently installed a third skull and bones president of the United States. So that would have been George Bush Sr., right? Mm -hmm. George W. Bush's secret name is temporary. His father, George H.W. Bush's bones name is Magog. And his grandfather, Prescott Sheldon Bush, stole for the order one of their prized possessions, Geronimo's skull. But the order of skull and bone secrets have always been safe with a press of which much they owned and began. Time, life, fortunes, Henry Luce, Newsweek's E-Roll and Bunny Harriman, mm-hmm. Kells Communications, Alfred Kells, National Review's William Buckley, Atlantic Monthly's mm-hmm. R.W. Davenport, among others. If... If the order is mentioned in the establishment press at all, Bones is defined as just a staid wayside for students. It's glory faded. Now, uh, this book that I uh, have here, and I, you can go to my website, and I do hope that you will order the book from my. I, I'd like you to order, order my book too. There are a lot of there's a lot of good stuff on my website, which I hope those who are penniless at the moment will go and just have fun right. and, and be educated because there is a very important freebie book there that I wrote in 1985 that was boycotted by the conservatives that I finally put up there free for everybody. That gives you the background of when I was in the department, Back to Basics Reform. But then on the back, another, we'll go on here, and uh, I know about Tony. I know Tony... Tony's work on this book very well because I provided a lot of the information to him. Not not the bulk of it, but mm-hmm. some impo- the names, the memberships, okay? And uh, when he got a hold of the membership list, all of a sudden, after 15 years of research on uh, why we were giving all of this assistance to the Soviet Union, all the nuclear uh, secrets, etc., on how to build a bomb and this and that and all, uh, he couldn't figure that out, and other assistance to the Soviets, uh, he finally, when I gave him the membership list, he called me back, and I made him give it back to me. I can tell you that. I had to keep it pretty secret. Uh, he called me back, and he said, I, I put those, those membership lists on my dining room table, and I looked at them, and all of a sudden, I got my answer, because he said I never could understand. He's British historian, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand why we were doing what we were doing. And then he saw all the names, and he said the whole thing popped out. And after he wrote the book, he said, if I have a magnum opus, this is it. That's Anthony C. Sutton, educated, University of London, Guttington, and California. While a research fellow at the prestigious Hoover Institute, he produced the monumental three-volume series, Western Technology and Soviet Economic Development, and other books include The Best Enemy Money Can Buy, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, right. Wall Street and Hitler, and many others. So I urge people 
to spread the word that it's, you know, it would be bad enough we just had one, it's bad enough we've got one in the White House right now. But we're, we've got two running against each other. Is that, what kind of a choice is that? I, I also would like to let listeners know that the best enemy money can buy, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution and Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler are online. You can read them online. I smoke them on a CD. I have it forever. And That's it's, great. Yeah, I, I found it on reformed-theology.org. Do a Google search, whatever, and it will come up. And, folks, read it because this guy had it together. Did he not, Charlotte? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. And it is wonderful that some of these books are online now. You know, there's another incredible book. I think the most important that was ever written is called From Major Jordan's Diaries. Mm. And uh, I don't know if Sutton had ever even seen that. But that is also online. If you type in uh, From Major Jordan's Diaries and uh, into Google, and I think that Edward Griffin's uh, website will pop up. Okay. And that book, is, which was written in, my, in the early 50s, about how we gave all of the information on the atom bomb to the Russians be, before mm-hmm. the end of the war, mm-hmm. uh, how he found the stuff in the suitcase, Major Jordan, right, being shipped under Lend-Lease, that is all available on the web as well. People are not going to take it well when they hear it for the first time. But the thing is, is if you don't like it, go check it out. And if we're wrong, fine. But we're not. And that's what don't happened. Don't you wish we were? You believe. Charlotte, let me tell you, I tell people time and time again. I mean, I heard Alex Jones out here in Podunk, uh, Florida, because, you know, you, you won't hear him in major cities. Yeah. I, th- I thought he was apoplectic. Yeah, what, are you kidding me? I know. But I checked it out. And, you know, I do know from my life, I mean, I'm 53. I've gone through the 70s. I've gone through the wars, all that. Right. You hear stuff. You know things go bump in the night. And, you know, Charlotte, I checked it out, and I looked at my, my wife, and I said, I have not, you know, I'm not enjoying the conclusion. They're going to shoot the messenger. And it's not much fun. I've had 30 years of being shot at. But I still think in terms, I just watched uh, the marvelous, you know, film, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, about the Soviet Union, that great uh, film with uh, Julie Christie and all. Oh, uh, Dr. Zhivago. Dr. Zhivago. I watched it this afternoon, Mm -hmm. and uh, (laughs) boy, it was unbelievable. There's one thing that really popped out when uh, her daughter was going to school, Julie Christie's daughter, Mm -hmm. and, and the daughter says, Oh, well, we're doing math and this and that, and it's uh, civics math. And I thought, well, it's just like the civics that George Bush is putting in now, or the politically correct civics where the con- they don't even mention the constitutional. Well, went on and she said they had a big, they showed a picture of the, the book that she was studying from. This is during the Russian Revolution. Right. And uh, it had a picture of the Tsar, a horrible picture of him. And she asked her, uh, and then I guess, uh, uh, what's his name? Zhivago uh, said, uh, "Well, why is why such a horrible picture?" And she said, "Because he's such a horrible mm-hmm. man." Mm-hmm. And this was called civics math, mm-hmm. which is exactly what George Bush is putting in now. The civics curriculum is absolutely horrendous, but we, we, and we all, it's mandated. Well, we also agree, though, because I mean, on, on this show, we were anti-Republican, we're anti-Democrat. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make a difference who's sitting in the awful office. They are handled. So Bush does his part. Clinton did his part. It's a continuum that may have gone back as far as Lincoln, you know, know, really. And when you see assassinations factor into our presidents, you know, I tell you what, I got to think that they knew what the script was, and when they deviated, they paid with their lives. And that's another whole issue. But don't you think, Charlotte, you know, we look at other nations and think they're so barbaric, and we don't really look at how assassination has played a part in our politics. 
what's true and how barbaric can we be when we look at Iraq? Oof. Oof. The number of children I know. and the number of absolutely mm-hmm. innocent civilians that we have killed. For what? <laughs> I mean, this is the president that uh, ostensibly is a Christian conservative? Let me say, not you, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry, but evangelicals, you're going to call me judgmental, but I think I have a right to discern. And the thing is, you cannot be a member of an occult society like Skull and Bones, which goes back to the Germanic occult societies, perhaps the Thule Society to which Hitler belonged, and have a leg in that and have a leg in an evangelical church. It is a, it is a mind op. It is a brainwash. The man is not a Christian. His You're father right. was a thief, and his grandfather was a thief. I know. Well, why are, the, why are these evangelical Christians going along with him? It's almost... Uh, it, it's 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 sick. It's 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 diabolical. It's totally diabolical that they have allowed themselves to be trapped. Yes, but into sure, this. two things, Charlotte. One, it may be. I'm not I'm not hard to the wall on this, but we've all heard about the false prophet in eschatology, and yep. I don't believe it necessarily has to be a human being. I think the false prophet is mass communications, and Christians are sitting there like everyone else yep. and drooling in front of the set. And the televangelists, I will also say, are out to lunch. I never trusted them, and I don't now. Oh, me neither. I never. They don't like me, and that is always a good. I've been around 30 That's years. That's a good reverse barometer, yes. I can tell an awful lot now about what they're about, the ones that don't like me, <laughs> which is like just about all of them. It's a badge of courage, yeah. They won't have anything to do with me. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah. The wolves in sheep's clothing. They are. I mean, That's, that's just... what they are. And the second thing is also, Christians, and somebody pointed this out to me the other day, the evangelicals think they're not uh, of the world. They believe, you know, you can be in the world, but you can't be of it. But you yeah. are of it because the thing is, you've gotten so hooked in to man's government. If, you know, I'm only saying this, and I'm saying this for myself, and that is when you issue divine law, That's right. then you take on human law, and human law can only become corrupt, and ours yeah. has. So, you know... The, the early tribe of Israel wanted uh, judges and they wanted kings and they wouldn't follow the Old Testament. And so going on, we have ourselves now here trusting in, uh, in, in politicians and Christians have no right in doing it. Plus, you're in 5013C churches. You are hooked into the state oh, yeah. with your yeah. tax exemption. And, and time will come and we do not agree that two things have to happen, Charlotte. One, nation states must be dissolved so we can go into the one world government and the next thing they'll do is go after religion and Christians will be considered terrorists because they will not bow to an all-encompassing, you know, uh, entity. Well, that's right. It's happening right now in Iraq, mm-hmm. where with the Christian segment there, and there were quite a few Christians, and they are being persecuted, and we're allowing that to happen. And our, our Christians here who take the money, and even through matters, you know, school choice projects, things like that, Christians think they can take the money. Americans think they can take money for vouchers and right. things. Little do they know that... That's against the law. If they went into the federal law, they will find, I don't know why the Supreme Court didn't find this, that okay. under the ESEA it says that any any school, any entity that takes money from the federal government will have to conform its hiring practices, its curriculum, everything to the federal government's testing, et cetera, et cetera. So don't go near school choice proposals or vouchers or charter schools. Uh, I have to get that in right now. Mm-hmm. and. You can homeschool all you want, but don't go for Bill William Bennett's personal right. academy, which is a charter school, which That's is right. federally funded, because you will have to administer the national test, which is required by No Child Left Behind, which is 60% politically correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. 60% politically correct. 
So Not uh, education, but correctness. Be very, very careful, folks, who do not like the public schools, and they have good reason not to. But if you're going to pull out, you better be very careful about where you put your children. Because if you put them into a private school that is being funded with federal money, vouchers, tuition, tax credits, or, or if you have them in a charter school, which is a public school, uh, or if as a homeschooler you use a curriculum, which is a charter school curriculum like William Bennett's Virtual Academy, you are going to be in a public school just the way mm -hmm. you were That's when right. you wanted to get out. Um, before we make a couple more comments with the time we have left, once again, Charlotte, give them your website, ordering information, and what they can find on your website regarding okay. your articles. Yes, I do want to. The, my website, which is uh, deliberatedumbingdown.com, and that's D-U-M-B-I-N-G, deliberatedumbingdown.com, uh, you will find the free book I wrote in 1985. You, you can download that as a PDF if you want. It's mm -hmm. free. And also, click on Articles. Uh, there you'll see about 20 articles that I have written uh, which deal with just about everything we've been talking about tonight. That'll be very helpful to you if you've missed anything that we've talked about tonight. And uh, you can also order the book or other books, Sutton's book. You can order my book. Or you can uh, you can go to barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com. They've been very helpful to me selling my book. Or you can call me. I'll be home uh, on Monday, this coming Monday, at 207 Four four two zero five four three, and you can buy the book with a Visa or a Mastercard, or you can send a check for forty-seven dollars uh, to Three D Capital D Research Company at one zero six two Washington Street, and that's in Bath, B A T H, Maine, M E zero four five three zero, and uh, for those who uh, just want to play around a bit and find out who I am and what I'm up to, and then maybe buy the book. Hopefully you will buy the book. It's very important to have it, especially educators. But just my website is loaded with stuff and lots of very good PDFs, which means you can download them. And uh, you'll find plenty to keep you busy there. But for those who don't, who aren't on the Internet, that's why I'm giving the telephone number, 207 442 0543. We're out of time, Charlotte. We thank you so much for being with us a year to the date almost from your last time. Thank you. And I hope you'll come back again. Okay, I look forward to it. All right, God listen, bless. thanks for taking out uh, time from your vacation. God bless you, and we'll talk again. Okay, bye. Bye.